0: Om bhadram karne bhi deva bhadram pashe maksha bhirya jatra sthirai rangai stushtvagum sastanu bhi vyashe ma swastina indra vriddhasravaha swastina pusha vishwa vedah swastina starkshyo arishtaneemi swastino brihaspatir dadatu om shanti shanti shante we have done um four of the mantras five of the mantras actually four of the mantras uh, so I, I will chant the mantras and this these ones you chant after me mantra 1 <speaking in Spanish> om Daksharam om, om ityetadaksharam Daksharam <speaking in Spanish> sarvam idam <speaking in Spanish> sarvam. sarvam tasya upavyakhyanam <speaking in Spanish> tasya bhutam bhavat <speaking in Spanish> Bhutam bhavat, bhavishaditi, bhavishaditi, sarvam omkara eva, sarvam omkara eva, yachanyat, yachanyat, trikālatitam, tetam, trikala tetam, tadap yomkara Mantra two. Sarvagum he ate at Sarvagum he ate Brahma Brahma. I am Atma Brahma. I am Brahma. So yam Atma Chatoshpat. So yam Mantra 3 Jagaritastano. Jagarita-sthāno Vahish-prajya-ha Vahish-prajya-ha Saptāṅga Eko-na-vingśyati-mukhaha Eko-na-vingśyati-mukhaha Sthula-bhuk sthula prathama padaha Prathama-pādaha Then mantra 4 Swapnastano सप्नस्थानों Antapragyam Antapragya Saptanga Mukaha Padaha Padaha Alright this is as far as we had gone last time. So what have we got so far? Let me try to put it here on the board. The Upanishad said we are going to do two kinds of analysis. An analysis into om and an analysis into oneself, into yourself, into myself. So Omkara vichara, Atma Vichara. Onkara vichara means vichara means analysis. An analysis into om and atma vichara. Atma means yourself. So an analysis into the an inquiry into the self. Now the inquiry into the self started in this way. The self has four aspects. Jatushpat, the self has four aspects. What are the four aspects of the self? This is what we had seen. what we have got so far. Um, consciousness is this visible? Yes, no. not not very, very visible. All right, let me make it a little. okay. Um, let me make it is this one Consciousness, yes. Consciousness, the real I, that appears in that is experienced in three ways. One is the waking. Yes, I'm putting the same thing, but we have, we have studied so far a slightly different way. So the waking, and we also have the experience of dreaming. And we also have the experience of deep sleep. Broadly, these three kinds of experience are available to each of us. Now in the waking world, in our waking experience, what happens? We have two aspects. One is the waker and the waker's world. Always related to what you are seeing. Here you are. You are the waker right now. This is what you are right now. And this world which you are experiencing. That's your world. That's the waker's world. This universe. In dreaming likewise. When you dream. You see yourself the dreamer. Remember in the dream you don't call yourself the dreamer. You call yourself. You think you are awake. So you think I. And here is my world. So the dreamer. And the dreamer's world. The dream world. We are calling it a dreamer and we are calling it a dream world only from our waking perspective. Right now here we are studying Vedanta. Where are we? Here. Waker and waking world. So from our perspective, that what, what I was doing when I was in bed and imagining all those things, I'll say that was dream and there was a dream world and I was in there. So I was the person in there experiencing a dream world dreamer and the dreamer's world and deep sleep the sleeper deep sleeper and the deep sleep world which is nothing but blankness so this is these are called the states so in sanskrit avastha avastha means state this is called jagrat in sanskrit waking this is called swapna dreaming this is called susupti deep sleep and all of these are actually manifestations or appearances of one consciousness this one which is which is, which is the real you this is what the Upanishad is basically trying to tell us that when it says the self you have four aspects you have to remember how the entire um, thing is developing it says that the self has four aspects what are the four aspects? the first aspect is this one waking the second aspect is this one dreaming and the third aspect is this one Deep sleep. And the fourth aspect is this one. You might say, no, uh, the waker is the first aspect. No, actually, consciousness appearing as the entire waking phenomenon, including you, the waker, and your world. So what the Upanishad is saying, you, the consciousness, in, your, in the waking state, you appear as the waker and the entire world of waking. Not only as the waker, as, as your entire world which you experience. This is easily understood in dreams. Because clearly in dreams, you are not only the one who is in your dream, but you are also the entire world of dreams. Your mind alone projects the entire world. And in deep sleep also. You are not only the one who experiences the blankness, but that blankness also you are. It's in your mind. So, the waker's world and the waker, this is called jagrat. And this is the first aspect of the self, yourself. The dreamer and the dreamer's world, this is called dream or swapna. That is the second aspect of the self, yourself, of you. And the third aspect is deep sleep, where you are the deep sleeper and the deep sleep world, which is nothing much to talk about. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it's just a, an unmitigated <laughs> blankness, a merged, where all differences of the waking world and the dream world are all merged, lumped together. In a potential form, in um, an undifferentiated form. Why does this happen? You are putting on three kinds of dresses. Let's put it this way. Three kinds of uh, dress or equipment you have and you get these experiences. You put on the gross equipment of the physical world and the same consciousness with gross name and forms. These ones. Physical bodies, a physical universe made of the five elements or of protons and neutrons and whatnot. This is the waking world. The subtle, a world made of thoughts and ideas and emotions and uh, uh, memories that's generated literally in Sanskrit, vasanamaya, generated from the impressions gathered here. That is, so consciousness dressed up the subtle body. It's it, it, this subtle world of of dreaming, and this is causal. So causal, uh, we'll see why it is called causal. All of these are nothing but again. I'll repeat you, the one consciousness. Um, the whole of Mandukya and indeed, all of Advaita Vedanta is here. How is it here? What we normally think of ourselves is this one. Our vantage point to the, of all of life is this one right now. You think of yourself as this and nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. You think of other people as different individuals. You think of this world as the world. And what about dreaming and deep sleep? We generally explain it away. We think deep sleep is nothing much. It's just nothing. And dreaming is, I am just relaxing and my mind is just, brain is churning away and producing these movies which I call dreaming. That's it. But I am basically this guy. I have a body, I have a mind, and this is who I am. What Vedanta wants me to do is, what Vedanta is going to make me do is, the I, the self, wants me to shift from this to this. From here, the waker. To the one consciousness, the fourth aspect, not the first aspect, the fourth aspect is the truth. According to Vedanta, the first three aspects of the self, self has four aspects, that's what we studied. Aspect one, the gross, aspect two, the subtle, aspect three, the causal, are all appearances, all false. The fourth aspect alone is real. It's like one screen which plays three movies or two movies and one sometimes just darkness. The screen in itself is the only reality. The movies which come and go, they are not real. (coughs) It's like right now our position is we have forgotten the screen. We think I am this guy watching this movie and that's it. This is my reality. So Vedanta will make me shift from here to there. This is the gross self, so to say. Gross self means not that the self is gross. The self is pure consciousness, but with gross name and form, body and mind, we can call it the gross self, sthula atma. And the gross self has two aspects, the waker and the waker's world. And this is, when is it available? In the waking state, jagrat avastha. The second aspect of the self is the subtle self. Subtle self doesn't mean the self is very subtle. Self is just pure consciousness. But it has subtle name and form. And it it is divided into two. The dreamer and the dream world. Whatever you are dreaming about. And that is the consciousness which is available uh, in the subtle name and form. In the state called the swatna, dream state. And the third aspect. Whose third aspect? Your third aspect is the deep sleep state where we, you experience yourself as an undifferentiated blankness. So we are, we are writing it just for symmetry. We are writing sleeper in deep sleep world. But our experience there is just you know, nothingness. We'll investigate that. Let's not forget OM. We started with OM. So what is OM in this scheme? What is OM? The four aspects. A-U-U u, u, and mm. a, u, ma. Not a, u, M. A-U-M. Not A-U-M. in the sense, That's the closest I can get in English. A-U-M. And if you put it together, A and U together by Sanskrit grammar becomes O. If you try to pronounce O, oh, it becomes O. Oh. So, O-M. These two together are O and M. Mm. So, O-M. It represents the three aspects of the self. All thoughts. And that's not really who we are. Who, who are we? The fourth aspect is represented by the silence which follows the um, mm, And which actually underlines a uh, mmm. All three. Silence underlies all of them. And that silence represents the consciousness. Is in fact the consciousness which shines forth waking, dreaming, deep sleep. In waking, waker and waker's world. In dreaming, dreamer and dream world. In deep sleep, just for the sake of logic, I mean for the sake of symmetry, sleeper and deep sleep blankness or deep sleep world. In reality, this consciousness alone. Now, the third mantra, third mantra talked about this one. Mantra three. Waking state. The fourth mantra talked about dream state. Now the fifth and sixth mantras, fifth and sixth will talk about deep sleep. And the seventh mantra will talk about your real nature which is pure consciousness. The the third mantra talks about your first aspect. The fourth mantra talked about, which we did last time, your second aspect. Now today what we are going to study, the 5th and 6th mantras will talk about your 3rd aspect. And the 7th mantra will talk about your 4th aspect, the the reality. What happens after that? Remember there are 12 mantras. So 8th mantra, ninth mantra, 10th mantra, 11th and 12th, we go back to OM. How do you relate OM to all of this? But I have already let you into the plot. So here is, that's what's going to happen. All right. Today we are going to talk about, maybe the most boring subject, nothing, just deep sleep. (laughs) So, in fact, nothing is a very interesting subject. (laughs) I I remember I attended a course on uh, Navya Nyaya, the school of neologic in in, uh, India, in Indian philosophy, there is a branch of philosophy called Nyaya philosophy. Um, they are master logicians. And their school went through a major upheaval about a thousand years ago. So, in India, even a newer logic will be a thousand years old. So, <laughs> over a thousand years ago, there was a great logician who revolutionized the school of logic in India. And so, it came, the school became known as Navya Nyaya, literally means the new school of Nyaya. So, I attended three courses on that. The third course, the most difficult one, advanced course, was for 15 days, 5 hours a day. And the subject, believe it or not, was, you guessed it, nothing. The subject was nothing, abhava. Abhava means absence, nothing. So we got to talk for 5 hours a day, for 15 days on nothing. And la- <laughs> last day was an examination on nothing. And it was the <laughs> toughest examination ever. <laughs> and just like we talk about snake and rope, they have a classic example also when they teach. The Pandit, there's a Pandit who came and taught us. And this was in the Asiatic Society. You remember the one established by William Jones in Calcutta for the study of ancient Indian culture? So um, in the Vidya Sagar hall, big hall there, we used to have the, had the classes. And there was the Pandit who came from uh, Pune to teach us. Um, V.N. Jha. And the classic example which he would use, just like we talk about snakes and ropes all the time in Vedanta, there the example is there is no pot on the table. Bhutale ghato nasti. There is no pot on the table. So, this absence of the pot on the table is what worried us for (laughs) 15 days, so 5 hours a day. How do you understand the absence of the pot on the table? In fact, there was this guy who looks after the hall, you know, the, like the maintenance staff, who would open the hall in the morning and then shut down after we had gone. Um, so, I think he felt comfortable with me because I was the only monk. So, he's, after a couple of days, he used to observe what's going on. After a couple of days, he sort of sidled up to me and said, Swami, in Bengali, said, Maharaj, if you want a pot, I can get you one. It's easy. <laughs> If you want a pot, I can get you one. <laughs> it's easily available. Yeah, you guys keep every day. You complain there's no pot on the table. <laughs> I can get you one. It's it's and it, I'm not making it up. He actually said, "Do you want?" I mean, he sort of says said he said, "Do you want a pot?" <laughs> Why did I say that? Um, okay, absence. or deep sleep seems to be absence. In fact, it's very interesting to study deep sleep. Um, because one reason is, we, I keep saying consciousness, 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 you know. Here, you are pure consciousness, you are consciousness, that's what, what your real nature is. Um, yeah, can we close that? It can be misleading. You know why it can be misleading? Because what do we normally think of a, as consciousness? This one. I am seeing, you are listening to me, you are thinking, feeling. So emotions, ideas, thoughts, perceptions. You see things, hear things, feel hot or cold. All of this is what we call consciousness. And in fact, in consciousness studies today, this is what is being studied as consciousness. But this is not what we are talking about as pure consciousness. So it can be a little misleading. It's the, a good example is this. Suppose somebody says, what is electricity? Here the light is shining, that's electricity. Here the fan is going round and round, that's electricity. Here the voice is being recorded, that's electricity. Um, somebody is using a computer or something, that's electricity. Now if somebody thinks this light is electricity and the fan going round is electricity, you can see the person is a little misled, Right? Electricity does not shine and give light. Electricity does not go round and round and give you air. Electricity does not record my voice in this. No. It is the devices, the light bulb and the fan and the recorder here, which are enabled to do so by electricity. Uh, If you switch off the light... The electricity is still there. There's no, no light shining anymore. If you Switch up the fan. Electricity is still there. The fan is not going round and round. That's all. So the fan going round and round and the light shining are not electricity per se. But they are enabled to do what they are doing because of electricity. In the same way, when you look at consciousness, awareness, consciousness is what enables us to see, no doubt, but only through the organ of vision and through the mind. The mind plus the visual system, the entire nervous system and the brain and the eyes and everything, all together, pervaded by consciousness, gives you the experience of seeing. It's your auditory system, nerves and the brain and the mind and all of that together, pervaded (sighs) by consciousness, which gives you the experience of hearing. But in itself, seeing and hearing are not consciousness. It's like, for example, if I were to go deaf or if I were to go blind, I would no longer be able to see. The conscious experience of seeing you would not be available to me. But would I still be conscious? Yeah. Blindness is also an experience. Seeing is an experience and blindness is also an experience. Both are experiences to consciousness. Similarly, just like you switch off all the devices, no light, no fan, no recording, electricity is there or not? Yes. On the other hand, light, fan and all, they're all switched on. Cut off the power? Nothing. Exactly like that in the case of consciousness. Imagine a situation Where the eyes are eyes and ears and all the organs are functioning perfectly. The nervous system is awake and working. The brain is churning away. Everything is there. But no awareness. What happens to your subjective experience? It goes dark immediately. You have no experience of anything anymore. So consciousness, what we talk about in Advaita Vedanta is not exactly what we commonly mean by consciousness, or even what is being studied as consciousness, right there in NYU, David Chalmers is working away on mind, brain and consciousness unit. In fact, from an Advaitic point of view, they are suffering from uh, mixing up different categories which should be separated. That's why it leads to, first of all, philosophical problems and later on, scientific problems. Um, if you do not separate consciousness from the Effects or applications of consciousness, you mix them up together, then uh, it goes into lots of uh, tangles. Uh, hopefully one day we'll have an effective dialogue between uh, um, uh, Vedantins, Buddhists and uh, consciousness studies. I think we have a lot to offer there. These, these clarifications, for example. For example, they are still thinking of consciousness as something objective. Where is consciousness objective? Here. Here. Even here we will see. But this is not objective. This is the pure subject which appears in these experiences. These are experiences. So in this sense consciousness is objective. That that is what they are trying to study as consciousness. But that is consciousness mixed up as we know. With subtle names and forms and gross names and forms. With bodies and minds. With thoughts and emotions and uh, impressions and all of that, memories. So, um, another thing that comes to mind is, those of you who have studied Nisargadatta, in some of the book, I Am That, some of you have studied, often you will find it leads to a confusion sometimes, because Nisargadatta says that you, the self, you are beyond consciousness. In fact, one of his books is called Prior to Consciousness. That can lead to confusion. Swami, you talk about consciousness and Nisargadatta says you are beyond consciousness. Remember what he means by consciousness. It's a useful switch of terms. Because what he means by consciousness is the, the consciousness which we are experiencing right now. This consciousness, he says, this arises when the body becomes active. When the mind becomes active. So he says consciousness is something that you experience when body-mind becomes active. He's right. That's the... I mean, Vedanta would call that the reflected consciousness. Or but he is using... Remember he spoke in Marathi. And so it was translated into English. So what he used... I don't know what term he used. That was translated fortunately or unfortunately into consciousness. So he says you are prior to consciousness. You are... You transcend... It's, it's like saying... Electricity is prior to the bulb. Electricity is prior to the fan going round and round. Prior in the sense, it's not exactly that. It exists without that also, but that cannot work without electricity. Similarly, hearing, smelling, touching, talking, understanding, feeling, all of them, they come after consciousness. They cannot work without consciousness. I'll qualify it. Remember, when I say hearing, smelling, touching, thinking... I mean the subjective experiences of hearing, smelling, touching, thinking. What you are getting, the first person experience. Otherwise, the question should come up. Why Swami, um, in one sense, sensors can see you coming. You know, like you put your hand before a wash basin and it gives you water. Or you walk in front of an airport door, it swings open. So isn't it seeing you coming? Yeah. The, Go- the Google car, driverless car, it drives. It does everything that a human driver can do and they, they claim it can do it better. Right? So, it can take decisions. It can maneuver a car. It, it can hear, it can see. So, what's the difference? The difference is this. Uh, it, there is no subjective first person experience there. Even the most uh, um, ambitious Google engineer would not claim that the Google car is conscious. Internally, like you, have, you are conscious and I am conscious. Internally, we have a first-person experience. Again, back to what Chalmers is calling the hard problem of consciousness. So that is the difference. So it's it's good in a way that uh, Nisargadatta the books say consciousness. You are not consciousness, and I was amazed to find in one place at least, Swami Vivekananda is saying it is not even consciousness. Uh-huh. It is, means the real, real nature, real you, is not even consciousness. What he means by that is consciousness is what happens here. Consciousness is what happens here. Yes. And consciousness, that waking consciousness, it's available in dream consciousness. In comparison to the waking and dream, that's why deep sleep seems to be unconscious. Do come in, come in. Anywhere. Sit down anywhere. <coughs> yeah, come here. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, on the waking state and dreaming state, so it's, it's a, a knowing knowing thing going on. Knowing Correct. Knowing process is going on. Knowing. But on the M, which is the deep sleep, there's no There's state. no, knower. no that's, knower. That's why the waker is a knower. You know your world right now. The dreamer is also a knower. It Knows the dream world. But the deep sleeper is not a knower in that sense. So, we'll see. There's a sense in which it is a knower. We'll see. That's why in contrast to the waking and dreaming... Deep sleep seems to be no consciousness at all. Because what we consider as consciousness, that's exactly what Nisargadatta says is consciousness, Uh, that's this kind of consciousness. Hearing, smelling, talking, thinking, feeling, understanding, liking, disliking, all of that goes on here. When a person is in coma, where does he or she doesn't know? Yes, it will be something like this. Deep sleep. be like something like deep sleep? Remember, why are we... You're asking a question like what happens... Where, where would you put coma? That's what you're asking. Yeah. Somebody might ask where would you put samadhi? Different kinds of trances. The altered states of consciousness. We talk about different drugs and all of that. Remember, this diagram makes it clear. What is Mandukya Upanishad interested in? Is it interested in this? In this? Nope. In this? Nope. In this? Yes. yes. Mandukya Upanishad is not even interested in the states of consciousness. It's not interested in waking, not even interested in the waker, and not interested in what you are experiencing in the world. Oh no! That's why people ask, oh, dream, we are talking about dream state. Many people will ask, oh, what about the things that you dream in? Are they real? Are they unreal? How are they related? Do they have any implication for our lives? But is the Mandukya Upanishad interested in the contents of your dreams? Jung is interested. Gaudapada is not interested he then why are these things being mentioned if you are not interested in the states why are the states being mentioned at all because there is a word that that Shankaracharya uses pratipatti dwara bhutam these are doors to understanding because this waking, dreaming and deep sleep is all we have got that's what we experience in the world So, Shankaracharya or the Upanishad takes these and is trying to draw our attention to something other than these and yet underlying all of this. It's like I'm trying to show you the light and the fan and the the, the recording device and trying to draw your attention not to the light, not to the fan, not to the recorder, but to electricity. I'm trying to show you something that's invisible here, but which is making all these things work. Here, somewhat analogously, Upanishad is trying, not it's not interested in these things. That's why I said one Swami, when one person came and was sort of weeping and telling all the problems in samsara, and the Swami shouted at him, I'm not interested in your problems. So he got shocked. That's cruel. He said, no, I'm interested in you, the real you. So where are the problems? Here. The Vekar has many problems. And the dreamer too has problems. If it's a nightmare, there are lots of problems, terrible problems. You may laugh at the dreamer's problems. The dreamer is not laughing. is scared, is trembling, he's in shock. And the sleeper has apparently no problems, but the seeds of all those problems are here, hidden there. Because they'll come out there.
1: In deep sleep and also in coma, isn't there a subtle sort of
0: awareness? We'll come to that. You're right. That's what we'll talk about. We'll, we won't use the subtle word, because the subtle word has been used for this. That's why they will use the word causal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Does does consciousness (laughs) also underlie the state of death? Yes. You can uh, explain it right here. State of death. What would be the state of death? The waker's physical body dies. That's all. Nisargadatta is mentioning him. He says, you know who you are? The one who was aware of your birth and the one who will be aware of your death. That's who you are. You are not born with your birth. You do not die with your death. So the
1: yeah. mind senses all of that is death, as the physical body, yeah. like senses. Uh,
0: con- what is the death? Death will be the waker is associated with gross name and form. What is the gross name and form of the waker? The gross name and form is of the body. That body will die, and the subtle body will keep on migrating into newer bodies, where you'll have new waking, dreaming, deep sleeps. But this pure consciousness, what is death after all? It's physical death. What is physical world? It's part of your waking world. What is the waking world? It's nothing other than the first aspect of the self. Is it real? No. What's real? This one. Wait, I'll come to you. The electricity analogy, hmm. we, have, we know what
1: electricity is. Yes. So right. If you take that analogy further, what is consciousness?
0: Right. We also know what is consciousness in a sense. In fact, Vedanta would say all that we know is consciousness. We think we know people and things and events. But all of that is nothing other than, other than something taking place in your awareness. Only thing is, what's happening here is, in the example, that's why it's an example. In the example, both things should be known. Then only you can use it as an example. If you did not know what electricity was, if I was speaking 200 years ago... Example wouldn't make sense. But now it makes sense because you know electricity and you know these devices. Here, what do we know? Right now, we should all claim to know. We should be able to recognize. Yeah, I get it. Waking. Yeah, I get it. Dreaming. Yeah, okay. I understand what you mean by sleeping. So the first three aspects are what we know. And what the whole point of Mandukya Upanishad or Advaita Vedanta is this claim that there is a fourth aspect. That's what they are trying to. So how do we know that? We are asking, so what is this actual consciousness, pure consciousness? That's what the whole Mandukya is about. That's what Advaita is about. We are trying to push you towards that. And the advantage will be, it's self-demonstrated. Once you begin to get that, once we begin to get that, because it is continuously available to us, it will not be subject to any kind of doubt. You will get clarity and conviction straight away about it it's not like a theoretical thing which is put forward by particle physics such a particular uh, particle might exist depending on later verification because you don't know if the theory is right or not but here consciousness what we are going to talk about according uh, what we are going to talk about what vedanta talks about is always available to us right it's it's actually something which is right now available to us what Mandukya is doing is reorienting our whole worldview. Even worldview is not a big enough term because worldview is right here. It's reorienting our entire view of reality. Then we'll begin to see what they mean by consciousness. Yes. Perhaps it's not the focus of Mandukya, but uh, does the subtle body or the causal body also die? The subtle body does not die or the causal body does not die. Death is of the physical body. The subtle body goes on according to Advaita Vedanta. Remember, all questions of causal body, subtle body and gross body are at the level of uh, Vyavaharika, transactional, Mithya, appearance, false. But according to uh, not only Advaita Vedanta, in fact, all Indian philosophies except the Charvaka. So, in fact, I would say, draw it further. Every religion in the world talks about a physical body and a subtle body. If it did not talk about a subtle body surviving death, there would be no religion. Think about it. It is nothing after death. Death is the end. We are only the body and death is the end. Nothing will happen after death. You as an individual are finished and gone totally. Before birth, nothing. After death, nothing. Then no religion is possible. Why would I care? So, a subtle body, something that exists in the physical body, functions through the physical body and does not die with the death of the physical body, but carries on, goes to heavens and hells and new births. That's a basic worldview of Indian philosophies. Buddhists believe in that, Jainas believe in that, Sikhs believe in that and every variety of Hindu believes in that. Sukshma Sharira, subtle body. It does not die. That's what carries samskaras from birth to birth. That's what is trying to look for liberation and get freedom from suffering. And what Vedanta tells you is that you are not that subtle body. Beyond that subtle body is a causal body. You are not even that causal body. That's the third aspect. You are actually an unchanging consciousness in which this entire drama is unfolding. That's the point of view of Advaita Vedanta. Yes. Yes. Yes, right? it is a soul. When you say soul, um, here in English <coughs> and in Western thought, the word soul is ambiguous. From a Vedantic perspective, uh, the word soul can refer either to the subtle body, this one, or it can refer to pure consciousness. So when you say soul, if you translate it as Atman, Atma means the self, then what do you mean by the self? So, for example, when you say the soul is our spirit, the immortal spirit within, you mean the real self, according to Vedanta. But when you say he's a good soul, uh, he's a good soul, or he's a simple soul, you're talking about the qualities of the subtle body. There's a goodness, there's a niceness. The niceness, the goodness, the simplicity are all qualities of the subtle body, not of pure consciousness. All right. We'll stop right here a little bit before we go into deep sleep. That means not into deep sleep, we're going to talk about deep sleep. We'll... Right now, this is the right time to tell a story which I have told a number of times. But it's, this is exactly the time to tell the story. Uh, so I'll tell the story and because we have just talked about waking and dreaming in the last two classes. So this is the juncture to talk about this story. I'll tell the story, then we'll go into an analysis, and then we'll go ahead into deep sleep. The story is this. I heard it uh, unforgettably once about uh, 12 years ago in the forests above Gangotri. After Around this time, we we had two meals a day, one at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning and the other one at 4 o'clock because at, after that it becomes very dark and you cannot do anything, it's, it's very cold. So at four o'clock you have your last meal of the day and then you go, we used to go for a walk with, uh, with the monks, with other monks who stay there. Some monks stay there in caves and in huts there. So in one, one of these walks, this monk told me a story which is applicable right now and which I've used to great effect in different forums. The story is a well-known story of, of the king, of the emperor Janaka. So the emperor Janaka retired to his um, royal bedchambers at night. And suddenly he was woken up by the sentry. Your excellency, your highness, wake up, wake up. We are under attack. The enemy has attacked. And Janaka gets up in a fluster and he says, get me my armor and my bow and arrows and call the general, get the army, we'll go to fight the enemy. And so they go out and there's a great fight that night with the invading army. But poor Janaka loses the fight. And he is captured and dragged. He's wounded. He's dragged in front of the invader. And the invader says. Oh Janaka. Your kingdom is mine now. You are of royal birth. I will not kill you. And I will not have you executed. But you are banished from the kingdom. So poor Janaka next morning. he's is stumbling out of his capital. And he wants water or food. And nobody helps him. Because they are afraid. He is a new king. He is a tyrant. We, don't, we can't. He who was the emperor till last night is now um, completely, you know, uh, exiled and nobody likes him, nobody is willing to give him shelter or help. So he staggers uh, out of the border of his kingdom. That's why I thought the kingdom couldn't have been too big. if he can, in Within a few hours, if he can walk to the border of the kingdom. And he goes to the next kingdom where he finds um, poor people are being fed. Like a soup kitchen is there and the kichri in india they give kichri so kichri is being served to poor people so he stands in queue who the erstwhile emperor janaka and when his turn comes they give him a bowl and uh, all the kichri has been is finished only a little bit of gruel is left over at the bottom of the big um, pot and the man who is serving says you seem to be a good person of noble birth well i can only give you this little whatever is left would you like that it's just the remnants, the, the dregs at the bottom of the of the pot. And he says, yes, give me that something. I'm so tired. I, I'm, I'm in despair. So he gives him whatever is there. And Janaka is about to, in his trembling hands, he hasn't eaten for two days now. He's about to put it to his lips. When a kite, which was circling overhead, swoops down and knocks the bowl from his hands. And the bowl goes rolling in the dust. And Janaka can't take it anymore. He collapses uh, at, at this Point translation also collapses because the Hindi was haha kar karte ve. Now, in Hindi, haha means exactly the opposite of the English haha. <laughs> the, in, in Hindi, haha means alas. <coughs> Saying, alas, I am undone, and he falls on the, on, on the dust, uh, on, on the ground. And he sits up on the bed, his heart thumping and all sweaty and trembling. And he sits up in the bed. It's dark, it's perfectly all right. And the sentry comes running in, Sir, you shouted, is anything wrong? Can I do something? At that point, we would have all said, Oh, thank God, that was a nightmare. It's a, just a nightmare. I'm all right. But Janaka, being a philosopher, he's a great philosopher and emperor of India. So, being a philosopher, he thinks, Was that real or is this real? Was such? Yeah, yes, such. In Hindi, the, the Swami told me. Is that true or is this true? The sentry is bewildered. He gets a little scared and he goes and calls the queen. The queen says, now what's wrong with the old man? And she comes in the dead of the night too. And she comes, what's wrong with you now? Is this true or was that true? What this true and that true? Call the doctor. And the doctor comes and checks his pulse and says, Your Excellency, where does it hurt? Is something wrong? Is this true or was that true? Next morning the news has spread I mean, there was no twitter in those days but the news has al- already spread through the I don't know grapevine the lotus vine or whatever and the people in the marketplace are talking that the emperor has lost his marbles he's he's crazy the great sage ashtavakra is visiting so he says he hears this that the emperor is just saying was that true or is this true so the sage decides to pay his friend, the emperor, a visit because he's the Vedanta teacher for the emperor. So he goes to the court and he sees the emperor is sitting surrounded by his queen and ministers and all the office officials. But what's happening is they come up and say, sire, please sign this. You know, the files are coming. And he says, was that true or is this true? And the government is heading towards a lockdown because it has not been passed. There are no more funds available. and It's a crisis. Now what do you do? <clears throat> the the great sage, Ashtavakra, says to the emperor, Emperor, how are you this morning? And the emperor says, was that true or is this true? But because he's this sage who knows everything in everybody's mind, so he knows what's in the emperor's mind and he says, Emperor, when you were rolling in the dust, crying out, alas, alas, and in defeat and despair and pain... All this, queen and the generals and the army and your pomp and glory and all of this, was it there? He said, no. And now you're sitting here. That defeat, that despair, that um, hopelessness and pain, is it here now? He says, no. Then emperor, neither this is true nor that is true emperor being the philosopher acute thinker he is he says he goes further into despair he says in that case is nothing true uh, is nothing true you see at this point if somebody convinces us this world the wakers world is just a dream like the dream world we would be in despair then nothing is true the emperor says then is nothing true kuch bhi sach nothing true the, the sage said, "Now yes, such; now was such. Neither this is true, nor that is true. Then is nothing true." The sage says, "There, at that time, it was false. But were you there? Did you experience it? You can't deny that you experienced. But the things that you experienced, you are saying it's a dream. Okay. But did you experience it? Were you there at that time?" He says, "Yes." And this, though it be false. Are you experiencing it now? You can't deny that you are experiencing it. So are you here at this time? He says yes. In that case O emperor. Neither this is true nor that is true. But you are the truth. na yes such. tum hi such. You are. So neither this is true nor that is true. You are the truth. This is what he meant. Neither this nor that. This is an appearance. This is an appearance. This is a dream. That's also a dream. In whom, to whom do these dreams appear? To this one. And what is this? We'll come to the deep sleep. All dreams are switched off. That's all. So you have dreams. No dreams. But you, the one who watches these, you are the truth. At this point, the analysis that I want to take up is what I mentioned last time. You see, at this, when you say something like that, it sounds cool. Neither this is true, but no, nor that is true, but we generally tend to regard the waking world as true and the dreaming as not true, for certain reasons. And Mandukya, again, because it's very ad- an advanced approach to Advaita, it starts by equating the waking and dreaming. So at this point we'd like to pause and put forth our objections. Why the waking is true, or at least more true than the dreaming? Why is the waking world true and this is a dream? Why do we call it a dream and why, why do you call it waking? Maybe the the waking uh, the proportion is longer. Okay, that's one. Uh, it, so it lasts yeah, longer. It's longer. more consistent. So many, so many. Um, uh, ten objections. You can have ten objections which uh, Swami Nikhilananda has summarized in his translation of the Upanishads. So I will read out the objections and the reply from the Mandukya point of view. Just quickly go through it. And this is worth thinking about. It's not so easy. But the answers are also very interesting. You'll be startled. And at the end of it, you'll be a little uneasy too. The waking world, your world of hopes and frustrations, um, dreams and despairs, everything. This waking world will seem a little less real after at the end of it. So, yes. Uh, I don't think so. I've got the four volumes. Come, come, sit, sit. Yeah. So, um, uh, Swami Nikhil Anandaji, the East Side Center, he translated the Upanishads into very usable English translations. So, four volumes of the Upanishads. And uh, so, come, come. I think there's a ch- seat here. want to sit here. The second volume has the Mandukya Upanishad and in the second volume, after the Mandukya Upanishad translation is over, you have an appendix. In the appendix, there is a section called Waking and Dream Experience. There he takes up 10 objections. What you have thought about, what you just mentioned and what you may not even think about. 10 objections. Objections to what? Objections to equating, waking and dreaming. Objections to calling this waking world, which is everything for us, calling it a dream. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. is somebody's phone working? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, 10 objections and replies to those objections from the non-dualist, from the Mandukya perspective. Okay. What are the objections? I'll just read through it. Okay, and then you can think about it later. The first is a general objection. Why waking is waking and real and dreams are just dreams. Number one, dream objects are felt while the dream lasts to be as real as those of the waking state. In dreams, as in the waking state, there exists a sense of distinction between real and unreal. So these are the general replies to the co- things. that you know. In the dream, you don't think it's a dream. We are calling it a dream because we are doing Vedanta from a waking state. But in the dream, you just it's another waking state for you from that perspective. So, that's the um, first answer to to the general objection saying that waking is real and dream is not real. There are many reasons which are very similar in dream and waking, the many aspects. The second one the objection is that dream objects are subjective. That is to say they are the creation of the sleeper's mind, of the dreamer's mind. Whereas waking objects are real. That is to say they exist outside, independent of the perceiver and are perceived by means of sense organs. Right. So here is this room, it existed when you had not come, and I had not come, the room existed, we came and we perceived it. We see it, we hear things and all of this through our sense organs. Whereas a room which you saw in your dream does not exist in reality. It's imagined in your mind. It's entirely subjective. So how can you say a room seen in a dream and the room seen in the waking world are e- equally unreal? You can't say that. The answer to this question this is, what makes this difference is said to be the instrumentality of the sense organs which are active in the waking state and inactive in sleep. But a distinction made on such grounds is not plausible. The sense organs and the physical bodies of the dream world are as active as those of the waking world. In dreams too, one not only thinks, but touches and tastes and smells and hears and sees objects, though they are only creations in the dream. A man dreams that he sees a mountain, climbs it and feels satisfied after reaching the top. Thus there exists not only an ego, but also external objects and inner feelings, in the dream state as in the waking state so it's a very similar experience in the dream world we are just calling it a dream do you see the the thing what they are trying to say that this is a common thing which is existing and then we come into the room and see it it existed outside our minds but that's exactly what happens in a dream also only after waking up from a waking perspective we say the whole thing was in your mind but in the dream you never say that Dreams, if you you and your friend are going into a room, you would feel that the room existed and you are going into a room. Third, dream experience is said to be private. Its objects and actions being known to the dreamer and none else. Whereas waking experience is said to be public. So here we are all experiencing a public experience. We all see each other, we see this room and everything. But your dream is only your dream and my dream is only my dream. So how can you say dreams and waking are the same? But again, you can see what the answer will be. Um, But the application of the idea of public or private to distinguish the objects of one state from those of another is not valid. Like the waking world, the dream world too has not only its own sun, moon and stars, but other living beings as well who share with the dreamer the public experience of the dream. Dream experience has as much of a public character as long as the dream lasts as waking experience. From the dream perspective. <coughs> right? In a dream, when you go into a room with your friend. You are there and your friend is there and the room is there. You don't say the room exists in my mind. How can you say it my friend? Both of you are seeing the same room. Let me finish all this. Let's read through that. Fourth. Waking percepts in contrast to dream percepts. Are said to endure for a long time. Your objection? Measurable period of time, but dream objects, but answer, dream objects are also observed to endure for months and years, though the dream may not last for more than a few minutes, as measured by the standard of time of the waking mind. When you go into a dream world, do you feel in the world, which oh, just been created, just a minute ago we had the Big Bang and here is the universe. No, in the dream world you feel it's been there for millions of years. Nobody says that the world has just been created. Have started dreaming? No. It's been there for millions of years from the dream perspective. Fifth, practicality. The money a dreamer possesses cannot purchase his bread and butter when he feels hungry in the waking state. But the answer, you can immediately say the answer is very, very easy. But we can say that the money owned by a waking person does not serve a similar purpose in his dreams. If the test of reality is pragmatic, pragmatic means if it works, it can be said that the dream objects are means to dream ends just as much as waking objects are means to waking ends, so even practicality will not work on the argument sixth, dream experiences are found to be fantastic, illogical, random, arbitrary, whereas waking world seems to be pretty logical. things work according to the laws of science, reason yeah. but you can you can easily understand the answer. <laughs> But such percepts, such experiences in the dream, however absurd, appear perfectly normal to the dreamer. They don't seem crazy when you are dreaming. If they did, you would immediately realize something is wrong, it's a dream. They seem perfectly alright. Obviously, he has his own notions of time, space, distance and form. But his standards, the dreamer's standards, are unreal to the waking person. <coughs> Similarly, the standards, of the standards of the waking state do not apply in the dream, though both standards have their application in their respective spheres. Seventh objection It may be objected that dream experiences are refuted by waking ones. Powerful objection. When you wake up, you would, unless you are Janaka, you would wake up and say, Oh, that was false. This is real. But you don't have the reverse in a dream. You wake up into a dream and say oh, that was false and this is real. You don't say that. You, do, you just forget the waking. That's why normally, normally we would say waking is at least more real than dreams. That's our normal common sense approach. But that you, common sense you cannot expect from Mandukya. So They will equate the two. Their answer is subtle but powerful. What's the answer? First, you must remember the question. The question is, dream experiences are refuted by waking ones. A man, after waking, can judge the merits of the dream. But waking experiences are not found to be unreal in dream. Nor does a person in dream sit in judgment over his waking experiences. Right? What is the answer? In answer, it may be said that that to the dreamer, the dream is a waking state. In that dream state, in that waking state, you may have other dreams from which you have woken up. There is no reference to this waking state anymore there. And he goes on and there's a detailed discussion of this. But that's basically the sum and substance of the answer. Eighth, you see how many objections there are. Eighth, why is the waking more real? It is said what gives the indisputable stamp of reality to the waking state is that we return to the same objects children, relatives, friends, house, all of that comes back when you wake up. But in the dream, it's different. Not only every night, from every dream to dream, it's different. Answer in reply, the dream state is a waking state for the dreamer, as has already been pointed out. And one knows a state to be a waking state only when there is the feeling that the objects seen are, are real and as such remain the same in all waking states. The answer is, In the dream state, in a dream when you see objects, they are not felt to be temporary and about to disappear with the end of this dream. They feel felt to be absolutely real. My friend feels real. The table um, chair I'm sitting with feels real. The food I eat feels as real as necessary. They don't feel temporary. Just as these ones seem pretty permanent, the dream objects also seem pretty permanent in the dream. Ninth. If the objects of the waking state are exactly like those of the dream state, then our beloved friends, kith and kin, would be no more than ideas, like those of our dream world relatives. Such an attitude is repugnant to our feelings. The reply is that our relatives seen in the waking or the dream state, again a very subtle and powerful answer, are as real as the I, as you yourself. What you consider yourself as real as the waker considers himself to be, so real does the waker's world seem to be. As real as the dreamer considers himself or herself to be, so real does the dream world seem to be. Advaita's answer here is balanced and nuanced, I would say. Why? Because you know, actually what Advaita wants to say is that, yes, your relatives are appearances. They are dreams and ideas and pigments of imagination. But that horrifies you. But Advaita says it horrifies you only because right now you think of yourself as real and, and you are being asked to think of everybody else as unreal. That's not what Advaita is saying. Others are as real as you think yourself to be. The waker's world is as real as the waker. But what Advaita says is neither is real. The consciousness alone is real. So that's the answer. The answer is The physical bodies are also as real as our bodies in those states. For example, if a man in a waking state regards his ego or body as real, then his relatives are also to be regarded as real in that state. Confusion arises when a man thinks of his body or ego to be real and the bodies or egos of others to be mere ideas. Others don't exist. I alone exist. No, that's not what Advaita is saying. So people say that, does the world is the world false according to Advaita? The answer is, it's false, as false as your own body and mind. If you think this body and mind is real, the world is real. Dreamer's body and mind is, if you think it feels real, then your dream is as real as that. Even a more delicate question is asked, does non-duality say God is false? Advaita Vedanta? The answer is, do you, what do you think about yourself? Do you think about yourself as real? If you think of yourself as real, then God is also real. If you are real, the world is real, then Advaita says God is also real. But this waker and the waker's world are none other than pure consciousness. Then God is also none other than pure consciousness. It's not a separate real God out there. That's the nuanced answer which is given. Then this was the ninth one, the tenth one. Tenth, it may be urged that in dreams the objects one takes to be real are mere ideas. Whereas in the waking state, the real appears real and the unreal, unreal. Here we can distinguish between reality and unreality. The rope is real and the snake I see it by mistake, that's unreal. I can distinguish this. But the dream things are all unreal. I, by mistake I thought they were real and when I wake up they are all unreal. But You can give the answer easily. In the dream also, we have a distinction between real and unreal. One can see an illusion in a dream and say, that's not real. Whereas the whole thing is actually not real. So these are ten objections and ten replies. I refer you to the book. I just mentioned one line from each. There's a discussion on each objection. And, um, you know, like, interesting. Yes. Why why then is uh, Brahman real? Uh, is Brahman, not a concept, a convenient concept uh, in the, that we have created in the waking state to explain? This? What you cannot deny is experience itself. You see, what, what is it that you can, deny, can confirm or deny as real or unreal? Think about this. What's common to all of these? What's common to all of these? These are all? They're all objects of, exactly, they're all objects of experience. Right now, I am standing in front of you. Are you dreaming or are you really seeing me? The the jury is open on this. You can you can argue this way and that way. But that you actually saw me, whether the real me or a dream me, that you saw me, that you cannot deny. Go back to the story of Janaka. When Janaka was told that is false and this is false, Uh, it can be denied. That, this, that was uh, false, you know it's a dream. This is also false. Your philosophy tells you, Advaita tells you, this world is also false. You can argue about it. But what is one thing that Janaka could not argue about? What is the one thing that the sage Ashtavakra could not dismiss? That, he was that you experienced it. Yeah. Even he experienced it, who is the he there? That is also open to discussion. Because Vedanta will tell you the real you is this and not this one. But the experience itself cannot be denied. See, when you see a snake in a rope, by mistake, then what is denied? It's not a snake, it's a rope. But what cannot be denied, that you actually experienced, you experienced maybe a false snake, but you experienced it that you cannot be denied. Advaita always moves on the facts. So what actually is there, that is never denied. But I don't experience Brahman. Ah, wait, 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 wait. Forget the term. What Advaita asks you is, do you, we'll, we'll follow this up very carefully. This is a good good entry. What Advaita asks you is, do you experience? You, say, you will say, what? Anything. Anything. Do you experience at all? Sure. You don't seem to be sure about it. <laughs> You've some questions. <laughs> ah, what you experience their philosophy might have its own ideas, science might have, I have its own ideas on the reality, unreality. You can fight endlessly over it, but one thing nobody can fight, nobody can deny. If somebody says you have no experience at all, it's impossible. To say that I have no experience, I must have that experience at least, right? Anubhava, the Sanskrit word, experience, that's the very essence of life, isn't it? You may suddenly wake out of this and sit on your bed. Oh, I I was dreaming I was in Vedanta society. But then if it's a dream, the dream is also an experience. That experience cannot be denied that you did dream it. Right? So what is it that you can challenge? You can challenge the objects of your experience. You can doubt the objects of your experience. You can't doubt the fact that you experience. Even the you that can be doubted but experience itself cannot be doubted that there is experience is this are you following me so far yes now what advaita is doing is forget brahman atman um, forget all of that oh forget all of that just go only on your experience not one thing added by religion or philosophy or science also just go on your experience so you have experience you cannot deny that Look at your experience. Broadly, the experience is of three types. You have a waking experience. You have a dream experience. You have what you call a deep sleep experience. Three kinds of experience. Now, what Mandukya says, we will investigate these three kinds of experience. In each of these three kinds of experience, in the waking, for example, you are experiencing a world. In the dream, you are experiencing a dream world. In deep sleep, there is a blankness. This is how it's proceeding, and it will take you to uh, that pure consciousness which it claims. Then, if you want, you can um, call it Brahman. If you don't like the term Brahman, you can call it Atman, you can call it Turiya, you can call it X Y Z, whatever you want to call it. Remember what Mandukya is talking about. We'll we'll come to that, that ultimate Brahman which they're talking about in the seventh mantra. What Mandukya is talking about is not a theory. At no point is it a theory. At no point is it a concept. Only what manduk is talking about is it wants us to sort of um, refashion our the way we look at it. It's working hard to push us into a new way of looking at it. At what? At the facts continuously presented to us. Which of these things can you deny? Which of the... Forget this one. Because <coughs> we, have, we have not got there. That's what you said. What is consciousness itself? We have not gone there. But these three which of it can you deny none of it these are all common experiences we everybody has all the time that's the beauty of advaita that's why advaita i mean it's, it's a magnificent thing that where they are not really asking you to believe in anything they are not even asking you to have new concepts or speculate on philosophical or scientific possibilities who knows Um, They are not even uh, asking you to have new experiences. Do this meditation you will get a new kind of experience. No. They are only taking experiences always available to us. All the time. And they are only asking you just follow us step by step and see where we lead you. We will lead you to Brahman. In the next two to three weeks. Don't worry. (laughs) We will come here. We are already at the fifth mantra. Today we could not do but we will quickly look at the fifth and sixth mantras. And then... There will be a gap after the 5th and 6th mantras. Remember, the Mandukya Upanishad is part of the Mandukya Karika, which Gaudapada, Shankaracharya's guru's guru, has written a commentary called Karika, verses. So, at the end of the 6th mantra, deep sleep, Gaudapada will um, uh, write some verses, give you a break, lot of heavy stuff going on, so relax a little look back on what we have got before we go into the climax that is the seventh mantra that's the plan ahead now let's go into deep sleep study of deep sleep fifth mantra so all this was by the way of looking back at dreaming and waking now we are going to go ahead the fifth mantra is about deep sleep why two mantras there was only one mantra about waking one about dreaming uh, and uh, why two mantras about deep sleep the uh, dif- the fifth mantra and the sixth mantra will talk about two aspects. Remember, there is an individual aspect and a cosmic aspect. In each of these, there is an individual vaker, you, an entire universe, the cosmic aspect. Right? Remember, consciousness associated with your body and mind. Here was called Vishwa. Do you remember? Consciousness associated with your particular body and mind, you will be called Vishwa here. And consciousness associated with the entire universe was called Vaishvanara or Virat. Yes. And here you would be called Taijasa. And consciousness associated with your entire dream world would be called Hiranyagarbha. So in deep sleep, consciousness associated with you the sleeper will be called Pragya. And the cosmic or total aspect will be called Ishwara. So the individual aspect gets one mantra, fifth, and the total aspect gets the another mantra, sixth. So what does it say? Let's go to fifth mantra. We're actually starting the class now. Fifth mantra. Please chant after me. Yatrasupto Supto Nakanjana Kamam Kamayate Nakanjana Swapnam Jana Pashyati That's Sushuptam That's Sushuptam Sushuptasthana Aki Bhutaha this is the fifth mantra. What does it say? It means, see in the mantra what he does here, first he gives us a definition of deep sleep. He didn't give us a definition of waking. He didn't give us a definition of dreaming because they are common, we experience it. We tend to dismiss deep sleep. So he's trying to define what is deep sleep. It's a negative definition. That is, it is not this, it's not that. What does he say? That is deep sleep where the sleeper does not desire any enjoyable thing and does not see any dream. What does that mean? Basically what he means is, in the waking state you have experience of the gross world. This one, the physical world. In the dream state you have experience of the subtle world. In your mind. In the deep sleep, what he wants to say is, neither the external world nor the internal world is experienced. So what is the deep sleep? Where you experience neither the external world through your sense organs, nor the internal world in your mind. You have no waking, <coughs> you have no dreaming. And yet you are there. That's deep sleep. So how did he explain that? Yatra Sukta, sleeping where? Na kancha kamam kamayate. You do not desire any desirable thing. Basically what he means here is, you do not experience the things of the world. One, that means external world is not experienced. Two, You neither watch any, any dreams. You don't experience any dreams. So, the internal world is also not experienced. Internal world is not experienced. That is deep sleep. That is deep sleep. Then what happens? Sushuptasthana, consciousness in deep sleep. What is it like? The deep sleeper, it, it, its name is Pragya. Remember? What is it like? Ekibhuta ghana. This requires some explanation. The translation is everything becomes undifferentiated who is a mass of mere consciousness. What does that mean? Pragyanaghana Ekibhuta Eki means. All lumped into one and uh, Ekibhuta means all lumped into one and ghana means a mass of awareness okay what does that mean it's actually pretty simple contrast it with our waking or dream experiences in the waking experience right now you have objects and cognitions corresponding to the objects I show you a pen immediately what happens there are two things here Here is an object called a pen and inside in your mind you have a cognition about a pen. So you have a vishaya, object and a jnana, a knowledge in your mind. Two things. As the objects are different, here you have many different objects. Here is a board. Here is a pen. Here is a book. So there are many objects. All distinct. There are many cognitions in your mind. All distinct. You have a board cognition, pen cognition, book cognition. That's also true in dream. And you see many things and you think many things in dream. But in deep sleep what happens? It's like if I switch off all the lights here, what will happen to the objects, the um, board and the pen and the book in the darkness, they will all be indistinguishable. They will be indistinguishable. The distinctions will be lost. Where? In the objects. It is reduced, The ho- this room of several hundred distinct entities will at, a, at the throw of a switch will be reduced to a lump of in an indistinguishable mass of darkness that is what is meant by aki all the distinct objects of waking all the distinct objects of dream are all thrown into an indistinguishable mass of darkness that's one and what happens to the knowledge remember board Pen, book, board knowledge, pen knowledge, book knowledge, distinct knowledges. What will happen to the knowledge of the objects when all the objects are thrown into a mass (laughs) of darkness? The knowledge also becomes indistinguishable. You don't have any distinct knowledge in deep sleep. I am seeing a pen. You never have such a knowledge knowledge. You don't have a knowledge of a pen, you don't have knowledge of eye, you don't have knowledge of seeing through my eyes. None of these distinctions of the subject, object and the instrument of knowledge, these distinctions are erased. Is it like a disappearance of everybody? It's like a, uh, the example they give is in the Upanishads of a lump of clay um, where the potter makes various kinds of pots and pans and jars. So when you see it first in the morning, it's a big lump of clay. When you come back, walk. this is a story from the Upanishads. When you walk back near the potter's hut, you see a variety of lumps of jars and pans and pots there. You say, where did the clay go to? And somebody says, that is the clay. And then maybe there's a rain and the pots are spoiled. What does the potter do? He puts them all back together. So when you're walking back, what happened to all those jars and pans and pots? That, those are the jars and pans and pots. So all the distinctions are lumped together they are lost but here is the thing they are not actually lost because they all come out when you wake up and when you dream when you dream again when you wake up again all the objects are there and all the thoughts and concepts are there otherwise you have to make a fresh start every time you wake up the hard disk is not erased everything is there it's in a sleep mode just like a computer uh, it doesn't give you anything it doesn't do anything but when you wake it up when you boot it up Everything is there. All your data is there. So so it's like a static word, like a potential? Exactly. The word they use is potential. The word they use is potential. The word they use is undifferentiated. In fact, ekibhuta means undifferentiated. And the word commonly used in Vedanta is this one. Causal. Not casual. Causal. Why causal? Because it's the source from which these ones emerge. Why why do you think it's a source from from which these ones (laughs) emerge? Look at your own experience. You will see it's like blankness, and things come out. Back to blankness, things come out again. Yes. So, uh, how is it
1: different from the state of just the consciousness, the deep
0: sleep? Ah, if I could explain that, you'd be enlightened immediately. Mm -hmm. So these, what I am just saying is these are the three states which are familiar to us. We must say that none of them are actually very very new to us. What Vedanta is saying is Vedanta has not started yet. This is just labeling what we all experience. You should feel comfortable with these three. Because this is just what, what your life and my life is. This one, this one and this one. Right? So Eki means all lumped into one pragyan ghana means all our thoughts individual cognitions are all lumped into <coughs> one indistinguishable mass anandamaya blissful so you are full of bliss at that time you say no i am not i don't rec- recall anything like that ah you do recall it when after waking up after waking up we say i was in great i rest slept like a log i didn't know anything why is this thing called blissful, ananda maya is a very precise word, blissful maya means pervaded by bliss that is different from ananda swarupa, Sachidananda. when you say brahman is Sachidananda, that is different and ananda maya here is different, your question so ananda maya, why do you call it first of all, why do you call deep sleep blissful this is something that comes across all the time in vedanta deep sleep is blissful, how? for two reasons one is all limitations disappear in deep sleep. Here, there's limitation. What is limitation? You are located in time, space and name and form. Time, this is 5.15 p.m. <coughs> on this Wednesday in 2018 in, on, on a February. Coordinates. this time, you're located. In space, here you are. Your GPS can tell you exactly where you're located uh, right now. So you are limited. You are here, nowhere else. You are now, no when else, if I can use such terminology. Neither in the past nor in the future. There is past, present and future. Not only that, you are only you. You are nothing other than you. Mm. You are that person. And everything else, everybody else and everything else is different from you. So this limitation, it disappears in deep sleep. You do not have a sense of... It's timeless. You say, no, it's not. I can measure it by my, my, by my watch. Uh, we set an alarm. By the way, there's, there have been many studies to show that people in the world, especially big cities, Western world, but big cities everywhere in the world, are among the most sleep-deprived in the history of humanity. So, <laughs> sleep-deprived sleep in the history of humanity, yes. Often when I do this stress management uh, <coughs> seminars, I do the yoga nidra. I find many of people actually fall off to sleep. And it's not wrong. Because people don't know how tired they are actually. So anyway. It's timeless. Not from the point of view of the waking. In the waking you can say. Yeah I had sleep for 5 hours or 6 hours. But when you are in deep sleep. There is no sense of the passage of time. It's spaceless. There is no sense of location in space. Swami that's crazy. I was in my bed. That's the waking perspective. In deep sleep, there is no bed, there is no you to be in, in bed also. So there is no time limitation, there is no space limitation, there is no object limitation, that you are this person and nothing else. All those limitations disappear. The Chandogya Upanishad says very beautifully, Yat alpyam tat matyam, tad asukham That which is limited, that is death and that is misery that which is the vast Bhuma means limitless but actually it literally means the vast that which is the vast is bliss the vast is bliss that which is limited is sorrow uh, that which is limited is death it is sorrow so this is you see, this is a very new way of looking at deep sleep you never thought deep sleep was so important so deep sleep <laughs> you thought it was nothing But it's actually limitlessness. So that's one reason why it's called bliss. Limitlessness. The second reason why it's called bliss is. The most obvious reason. There is no samsara there. There are no problems there. Janaka had problems in his waking and his dream. So he wanted to know this is true or that is true. But if Janaka considered his deep sleep. He would find no problems there. No enemies. No empire. No emperor. Nothing. Deep sleep, no problems. I often say the the guy dying in Cedar Sinai, his terrible disease and maybe his loneliness and so many problems in life, and it's all coming to an end. I'm dying, it's horrible. The moment that guy goes into deep sleep, no problems. Mm. Problems are always there in the world and in the knower of the world, in body, mind, and world. I'll come to you. So in deep sleep, no samsara. Because of these two reasons, no limit no samsara so it's called pervaded by bliss anandamaya so why the quality is tamasic oh, we are not going to that now okay. um, so that is deep sleep that's called anandamaya and what was the other term used so yes the five koshas anandamaya kosha yes exactly the five koshas if you want to relate them can you tell me an exercise in relating the five sheets in, in the waking state, what are the five sheets present? Annamaya, physical body, definitely. Manamaya. Pranamaya, is the is prana working? Yeah. Certainly. Manamaya, is the mind working now? Yes. yes. I always say, check it up from your experience. Look at your experience and give ticks, not theoretical. Don't look at your notes, look at life. Schopenhauer said, the distinction between an academic philosopher and a real philosopher. Arthur Schopenhauer He said, the distinction between a real philosopher and an academic philosopher. The real philosopher is puzzled by life, he said. The real philosopher looks at life and is puzzled by life and becomes a philosopher. And the academic philosopher? Schopenhauer said, the academic philosopher is puzzled by his books. (laughs) (laughs) So don't look at your notes. What are the five sheets? Swami is asking, what are the sheets present? Look at life. What's present here? What's present here? Body? Check. Yes. Annamaya, food sheet. Pran, are you breathing? Hopefully. <laughs> Highly recommended. <laughs> Con- continue breathing. So, Pranamaya, check. Are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Truly. So, Mind, Manomaya. Manomaya. Do you have understanding, lack of understanding? Vigganam, uh, intellect. <laughs> and of course, beyond that, a blankness beyond that? Anandamaya. All five sheets are present in the waking. In dreaming, from our waking perspective, of course. In dreaming, what, are, what is present? The physical body you lose sight of, annamaya. That sleeping in the bed, you are not aware of it. You have a dream body. So, annamaya is not active in your dreams. In your dreams, you have pranamaya, manomaya, vigyanamaya, anandamaya. And then in deep sleep, you have only anandamaya. Don't say, we are still breathing, you would be dead otherwise. You are breathing in the waking world, in your waking body. That's going on. But you, your experience is only of anandamaya in deep sleep that is different from the ananda of brahman satchidananda very different i am not going to explain that now question so if deep sleep is so peaceful then why not just sleep all the time you cannot if you could see two problems one is deep sleep we will see now deep sleep is also there is an there is an immediate answer to your question anandamaya next one is ananda bhuk chetomukha let's take this term chetomukha It's translated as doorway of experience. You know what deep sleep is? It's the doorway to dreaming and waking. This takes some explanation. Vedanta says you cannot go into waking or dreaming without traversing through the corridor of deep sleep. From waking to dreaming, if you want to go, you have to come to deep sleep and then go to dreaming. Even for a little while. It's like taking off a dress. I want to take this off and put on, um, you know coat and trousers and all of that, then I'll have to take this off and put that on. I can't do both at the same time. I can't have this on and put that on also on top of this. It'll be an awful mess. I can't put that on and then try to take this off. there will be an even worse mess. So, at one point, we have to take up the gross thing uh, which is defines our waking state and go into the subtle which defines our wa- dreaming state. And at one time, from dreaming, when you come to waking, you have to uh, drop the dream body and the dream world into deep sleep and come into the waking body and the waking world. So that is in between those two. Then. Yes. The deep sleep is the doorway to waking and dreaming. From dreaming, from the waker you want to become the dreamer, waker will sleep first and don't go into a dream. From the dreamer you want to wake up, the dreamer disappears first into deep sleep and from there becomes the waker. Logically it is so. Uh, You might say, no, sometimes when we wake up, the dream is fading into waking, where is the deep sleep there? But what happens is, when the dream is fading into waking, the dreamer is being abandoned there. Right? The dreamer is no longer real. The waker becomes more and more real. The awareness of the dream might continue, but you are no longer the dreamer. You cannot be very really the dreamer and very really the waker at the same time. Impossible. One will, the dream will either be a memory and the waking. You are waking and you are remembering your dream like the King Janaka. But you cannot say, the King Janaka cannot say, Alas I am defeated and I am sitting on the throne. Mm -hmm. Both cannot be true at the same time. One must abandon one to pick up the other one. That abandoning one to pick up the other one in between is the deep sleep. Now that answers your question. Why cannot we or should not be remembered there? You cannot because it's just a corridor. It will take you to the waking and dream inevitably. You can't remember, uh, stay there. Second, all the problems of the waking and dreaming are are all there. It's just lumped into a mass. It's it's not gone. So it's called the potential state or causal state for a reason. It's a seed. In fact, Gaudapada will say, he calls it a seed and he calls these sprouts. Seed is going to sprout. So all the mischief is there. So even in a dream state, you are not safe, because it's a state. These states come and go, you are not safe until you realize yourself as this. Uh, you may ask a practical question, why cannot we remain in that? We can, in deep sleep at night for some time, and after death for another period of time, and at cosmic dissolution, when the universe is dissolved, when the entire the cycle concludes, we can remain for enormously long periods of time in deep sleep. In in that state. But it will not help. Because again it will sprout back into a universe. Into a life. And into waking and dreaming. You cannot. They are all interconnected. They will pull the others in their wake. Yes.
1: Where is the clay?
0: The clay is this. The clay is this. These are the pots and pans. And in fact, if you think deeply, is the clay there in the pots and pans? Of course. So the clay is here also. The clay is right here, in you, in her, in me, everywhere here. We have to recognize this. That's what Mandukya will show us. There's one more question. So the waking stage cannot exist with the dreaming, which cannot exist with the. You just explained. Yes, yes. Exclusive of the other. They're, exclusive They're exclusive of the other. Exclusive. Yes true. That is not a state. That's not a state. It is. Absolutely. So these are three states and the reality. All states are false and superimposed upon the one reality. And this is movement from superimposition to de-superimposition. Adhyaro Papavada. So, Swami Vivekananda's terms from hypnotization to dehypnotization. hypnotization Shankaracharya says, when you say one, two, three, four, Very interesting, Shankaracharya says one, two, three are false. Fourth alone is true. He says, we will see in the, the seventh mantra, when we come to this fourth stage, at the end of that mantra, in the climax, it will be said, this pure consciousness, this Brahman, this Turiyam, this is called the fourth. And Shankaracharya and the commentator explains there, who calls it the fourth? He says, fools call it the fourth. This is the one reality. These three are appearances. With, with regard to our waking, dreaming and deep sleep, now at this point, to us it seems what Vedanta is promising is a fourth. What Vedanta is going to tell us is, this is the only reality. One, two, three are appearances. That's why Shankaracharya, when he starts his commentary on this Upanishads, he writes two beautiful verses. And in those verses he says, Maya Sankhya Turiyam The Sanskrit phrase, Maya Sankhya Turiyam, what does it mean? It is the the (laughs) ultimate reality. It is the fourth from the point of view of, counting from the point of view of illusion. From the point of Maya, it is the fourth. In Maya, one, two, three. From that point of view, from our point of view, it seems to be the fourth. From an enlightened person's point of view, this is the one this is the one reality yes I, I, you you had your hand up i'll come to you
1: uh, so what is the difference between the fourth state and deep sleep
0: right the fourth is not a state it's not yeah the deep for the many differences the deep sleep state comes and goes right now you're not in deep sleep right. hopefully so <laughs> right now we are not in deep sleep obviously it comes and goes it's in time In itself, timeless. But from our perspective, in time. But the pure consciousness underlies all three. Right? So there's a difference between this and that. One, experientially, one Swami put it, I don't know, an enlightened person will say better. One Swami put it very beautifully. He says, imagine this hall. And it's in darkness. And you back out of that corridor into the hall. And there's a chair. And you sit down, looking at that door. Waiting for the door to open again. And then when it opens, you walk out again. Out there is dreaming and waking. Here, that sitting there in the chair is deep sleep. You're waiting for the door to open. But if you would only turn around and switch on the lights, you would see all of this. A bit like that is the reality, which is always there. So from deep sleep to the reality is, is like the lights coming on. And that's one uh, explanation I heard. You have a question. <laughs>
1: And what is the underlying consciousness?
0: Yes, it's difficult. That's our journey. Yes, it's, it's, but states one, two, and three, which we describe as unreal, are very real, for very us. real, real for us. Yes, us today, right? right. What's harder to fathom is how
1: we move from one state to the other. That's a little more nebulous for most of us, right? right? How do we get into deep sleep and, and how do we get out of it? Mm. Uh, well, one thing that's for sure is that the, the, the richest experience that we feel. It, each of us is yes. in the waking state. The others are constructs we know exist, we know we sleep, we know we dream. Yes. It's very hard for us to will ourselves to deep sleep or somebody else to push us into deep sleep. Yes. But people can pull us out of those other states. Right. Right? You can be fast asleep. Yes. You can be dreaming. I can come and shake you. Yes. And I can get you awake in a second. Yes. You can be in deep sleep. So it's not in that sense the words are not quite symmetrical. It's like there is one state that seems to be more powerful than the others.
0: But but where are you making this observation from?
1: In the world where only these three states are real, the four true conscious. And we no, you
0: are making the observation from the waking state. Yes, yeah, fair. Yes. In the dream, you could make the same observation. You could possibly snap out the of this. Yeah. You pull back into the dream state. Yeah, you could be in the dream state, what we call the dream state. In that, you would call it the waking state. You have no way of saying that this is not a virtuality. In philosophy nowadays, they have what is called... Have you heard of this BIV, B-I-V. Brain in a vat. Brain in a vat. There's a, it's a thought experiment in philosophy. They do it in philosophy schools. How can you prove that... That there's some super sophisticated technology is not there. You are only a brain floating in a solution of um, (laughs) nutrients and connected to instruments. And you are being bombarded with impulses from outside generating this experience. It could be in principle true. How do you know that you are not living in a virtuality? In fact, Elon Musk said that it's quite probable that we are living in a virtuality.
1: Which makes a lot of sense. It could very easily
0: be the case. In, In that case... You would say deep sleep, waking, dreaming are all within this virtuality. This whole thing could be a dream. Right? So that's that's one thing. So it's not that the waking state is actually more powerful than that. The waking state is more powerful in the waking state when you consider dreaming and waking, with dreaming and sleeping from your present vantage point. That's why it <coughs> seems more powerful. Now let me give you a thought experiment. You said the waking state seems to be most valuable, most real, most powerful. Solid, you know, most uh, shining, tangible, right? Let me give you an ex- uh, You know why that happens, I'll tell you. And also, let me give you an example. In the waking state, don't take this present moment. Take what you had for breakfast this morning. Just imagine the memory of what you had for breakfast this morning. And the memory of eating something in a dream. Compare the two together. A memory pulled from your waking state and a memory pulled from the dream state. If you compare the two together sitting now, you will see they are very similar. They are eerily similar. (laughs) Your, Your breakfast, morning, people around you, the food and taste all have faded into ideas and feelings and traces in your memory. Exactly like the dream state. No difference. But what is real now? You know what's real? This present moment is very real. And you know why it's real? What Vedanta would say? Whatever you are experiencing, you the consciousness, whatever is shining in your light will immediately feel real. Why? Because you are real. This present moment is real. Why? Not because of what you are seeing here. Not because of what you are experiencing. Like Ashtavakra said, neither that is true nor this is true. You are the truth. Right now Vedanta says, you the pure consciousness In your light, this is shining. That's why it seems to be true. You are existence, consciousness, bliss. Whatever comes near you, whatever names and forms generated by maya come near you, they will have the property of first, seeming real. Second, seeming to shine and be experienceable. Third, seem valuable. You love and hate things right now, here, in this world. Things are pleasant and unpleasant to you. Because you are present here. You experience things right now. Very tangibly. Because you, the consciousness, are present here. And things are real around you. Because the reality is not in the things. It's in you. You are the reality which is lending reality to your experience now. Wherever you are, that's real. One Swami put it very beautifully. God, he said. I'm translating from Hindi. God will never be more present. Was never present in the past. Will never be more present in the future than now. Not mindfulness. Forget it. Mindfulness is way down. Okay. No, mindfulness is being alert. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the absolute. I'm talking about Sachidananda. not following your breath. I'm not talking about. See, be, be in the present, be in the present is a good advice, is a good practice. But it is absolute kindergarten compared to what we are speaking here now. God will be never more present in the future, any time in the future. And God will never be, was never more present in the past, even when Ramakrishna was alive and all of that, no. Then, now. God is nowhere more present in um, Vaikuntha, in heaven, in... in, uh, the various Bodhisattva planes and all of that, than here. And God is nowhere to be found more than in you. Why? It makes perfect sense. It sounds cool and like a nice slogan, but it makes perfect sense from the Advaitic point of view. Because what is present here, now and in you? Brahman, you are that. Yeah. Everywhere you find God, in any time that you find God, in any object that you find God, basically it will all ultimately, finally in the final analysis, lead back to you. That is what you will explain. That is what you will experience. Ultimately, you may go through a route of an avatar, of pilgrimage sites, of holy days of um, Shivaratri and all of that. Holy places, holy times, holy people, holy images holy um, uh, doctrines, all of that you may go through. They will all, finally, they are all pointing back towards this, which is you all the time. When are you present? All the time? To yourself? Where are you present? Here right now? Yeah. And in what are you present? In yourself. It's a good note to end the class awesome. in. Yes. We've got no time to do the Aum meditation. We shouldn't forget our Aum. So... Home, om. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be homeless. <laughs> in the Bahamas, when I was there, there's these huge cruise ships come up. People go there for cruises. And people keep asking, Swami, did you go for a cruise? <laughs> so this, And the cruise ships just dock outside the ashram, in front of the ashram. There's these giant cruise ships. And they have the horn, you know? Yeah they're supposed to sound it when they depart but there's an extra, extra function because all the tourists who are scattered all over Nassau or the Paradise Island, come back, the ship is going so. and they really sound like Om so the, the whole, the very deep bass uh, long and stretched out and the horn is as big as those ships so the, the people in the ashram they have a code for that, look Swami the ship is Oming <laughs> So let's do three ohms, and then we will pick it pick it up next Wednesday. Oh. your eyes when you are comfortable <clears throat> now that we are getting a good feel of the three states try to intellectually link the three sounds uh, ooh, ma to the three states and so when the chanting is going on let your waking <coughs> world with the waker and the waker's world let your dream with the dreamers, dreamer and the dream world let your deep sleep the blankness and the deep sleeper, let them float past, at least in your conceptual space. And in this way, you will begin to get a distance between this, yourself, and the three worlds. Hmm. The silence I mean, the Yes, yes. that's what it like. Yes. Actually, there are a lot of depths to Manduk, the teaching of the Mandukya Karika. I'm always trying to do a juggling, you know, like not to go in too deep. And uh, and yet not to be too superficial on the top, so sort of halfway in between. Om um, Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Sri Ramakrishna Rupanamastu